Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Proverbs chapter 11. While you're turning, I'll do a quick review from last week. This is the start of a new series today. Last week I spoke during our Vision Sunday, for those who were here, I spoke during our Vision Sunday and I talked about how God is leading us to see a transformation of life in our city and beyond. A transformation of life in our city and beyond. If you were here for that, boy, we had a really good time. If you, if you weren't able to make it, well, I'll encourage you to go back and check out the podcast at highcountrychristian.com. I did that this week. Uh, I was a little concerned that I, that I tried to say too much during the message last week, so I went back to listen to it to critique myself, and I got blessed. I was like, hey, this was actually pretty good. So it doesn't, I don't always do that, but I, I just happened to do it this week, so I know for a fact the podcast is live and it's working. So go check it out. We talked about last week how God blessed the house of a Philistine named Obed-Edom simply because the Ark of the Covenant was in his home. We said that today we are the Ark of God's Covenant and that because we have the presence of God living in us that the community around us should be blessed. Just as it was that the Ark and the presence of God was in Obed-Edom's house, a Philistine, And the Philistine's house was blessed. In the same manner, because the Spirit of God is living in you, your house and your community and your job and things around you ought to be blessed. We ask the question, what what would happen to our community if, if, if we weren't here? Would the community even notice? What if... What if life was so robust and the life of God was so strong and so healthy and so robust on the inside of us that literally life in our community looked different just because we were here? That's a transformation of life. We asked, how does this vision play out in our church? And we said that it shows up in four distinct components. The first one is know Jesus. The second one is get connected. The third is discover your purpose. And the fourth is make an impact. You see them up on the screen. Know Jesus, get connected, discover your purpose, and make an impact. As we go forward, these four components of our vision will shape life at High Country Christian Church. And watch, it will help us to be effective in seeing a transformation of life in our community. Now, I told you this last week, and I'm just going to review this real quick. That each one of these four vision components, it has to do with a different area of our ministry, with a different area of church. The first is know Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about today, knowing Jesus. That directly relates to Sunday morning services. Thank you. Knowing Jesus directly relates to Sunday morning services. I'll give you all a second. Thank you. These four distinct components, knowing Jesus, directly relates to Sunday service. Number two, getting connected, directly relates to small groups. Number three, discovering your purpose has to do with our next steps class that we've been talking about that we're launching today, and I'm so excited about it. And then number four, making an impact 
has to do with being a part of one of our legacy volunteer teams, our legacy teams. This is where you get to serve and be a part of what God is doing at High Country Christian Church, and we are really pumped about it. We're very excited about it. So today I want to talk to you about this first point. You, you, you heard me say last week that I'm going to take each Sunday in the month of February and drill down into each one of these points because it's just impossible to preach all of this stuff in one Sunday. We did have a good vision Sunday, but we're going to have a good vision month in February. So today we're talking about knowing Jesus, and that directly relates to our Sunday services and our services being evangelistic and winning souls. Amen? I had you turn to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. It reads, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who wins souls is wise. The tree, excuse me, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Look at it in the NIV. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. Watch this. And the one who is wise saves lives. Do you know that right before Jesus went to heaven, he said something to the church? He said something to his disciples? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the things which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus, right before he leaves, says something so profound to his people. He says, what you've seen me do these three and a half years, I want you to go do now because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to tell you, I grew up in a church. And the church I grew up in, I'm so thankful for. I love my church that I grew up in. And we, we, used to, we used to have such powerful times of the Holy Spirit. We would have some amazing moves of God. We would see people get healed. Y'all know I'm from a hooting and hollering, running, jumping, dancing, charismatic church. So nothing scares me, you know, when I go to church. Nothing. I've seen it all. But I was part of this awesome, wild, wide-open, Pentecostal, charismatic church, and we were so good at having Holy Ghost meetings. You know what we were so not good at? Getting people saved. What happens is when we get saved, we start this journey of discipleship and we start to get really dialed into the things of God and we start our hunger uh, for the things of God starts to increase. We get excited. We get really on board with what God is doing. And if we're not careful, we'll turn it into just me and God and live the rest of our lives that way and not be effective in the world around us. I, oh, I, I do not want that to be the story of High Country Christian Church. I don't want it to be said of us that we were super good at having healing meetings, but nobody got saved. It was just us four and no more. And we got selfish and hoarded the things of God to ourselves. I don't want that. Matter of fact, I believe that the reverse is true, that the more we bring the lost into the kingdom, the more revival we'll actually have. You see, we think that the key to revival is just let's all get together in a prayer meeting and pray for 26 hours in a row, and then God will move. And he will, because he responds to people's hunger. He responds to the hungry heart of the human being. But you want to know the faster, easier, more effective way to get revival is get a bunch of sinners in a room and introduce them to Jesus. And just watch what happens. 
He turns up the heat real fast when there's people that don't know who he is that are present. Amen? So listen, we're going to start to see, I said this last week, we're going to start to see some subtle shifts in Sunday morning services. We're not really going to change all that much, but we're going to add some things that have been missing. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. I quoted it to you just a moment ago. He said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When I was a kid, I used to think that that meant like every creature, like chipmunks and bears and, you know, birds in the tree. Go preach the gospel to everybody. And I, you know what? That's probably a pretty good place to practice if you're called to preach. Just start by preaching to, you know, anything that'll listen. And cut your teeth that way. And then, you know, get better and move on to people. But he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Notice the inclusiveness of that. All the world. Every creature. You know, Jesus didn't say, go into the place you think is the most comfortable and find some people that you like and talk to them about Jesus. Did he? Did he say that? Uh Uh-uh. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The greatest revivals, the greatest moves of God's Spirit have come from people going into the places that they didn't necessarily want to go, ministering to the people they didn't necessarily want to minister to. What would happen? See, see, we, we come to church, we get real fired up, we get super impassioned, And we get all stirred up for God and we say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Anybody pray a prayer like that at an altar at any time in your life? You come and you're crying and you're so happy to be just you and Jesus. Oh, I'm having such a move of God. Lord, here I am. Send me. Here I am, Jesus. Wherever you want me to go, Lord, whatever you want me to do. And in your mind, you're thinking, Lord, I'll go to to Korea and preach the gospel on a big stage. And God's like, how about the guy that makes your coffee every day that has no idea you're a Christian? Why don't you start there? Amen. I read in the book uh, called Upside Down Church by a pastor named Greg Laurie. This was years ago. He said, we're so eager to do big things for God, but sometimes not willing to do the little things. He said, God's not interested in you crossing the ocean until you're willing to cross the street. Ooh. You want to talk about getting your toes stepped on. Ouch. But what does the Bible say? It says, he that wins souls is wise. So if I want to grow in wisdom in my place in the kingdom of God, I can start by being intentional to win people for Jesus. Everybody may not be called to be a pastor Everybody may not be called to be an apostle and go and, you know, we had uh, uh, Pastor John and Rachel were with us this past Tuesday and we had a wonderful time and we got to see videos of Pakistan, hundreds of thousands of people in one place at one time getting saved. You know, you may not be called to do something like that. That might scare the living daylights out of you. That's fine. Are you willing to at least preach the gospel to your family? Could you start with your coworkers? You don't have to have a stage and a title to be a preacher. Amen. It starts with our willingness to preach the good news. We've got a mandate from God 
to see to it that the down and outers become the up and comers in our city. I'm going to say that again because I really want you to get it. We've got a mandate from God to see to it that the down and outers, the people who are lost and on their way to hell, have a, we have a responsibility to see that they become the up and comers in our community and in our city. Let it never be said of our church that we were not evangelistic and motivated to see souls come into the kingdom. The, the, the harvest, Jesus said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Let's look at that. It's Matthew chapter 9. It's not in my notes. It's a little off script. But would you take up Matthew chapter 9, verse 35? This is powerful. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. This is the template. This is what it's supposed to look like. We're supposed to copy Jesus. You remember, I don't know if some of you may have heard me say this before, but I've boiled Christianity and ministry down to a couple simple kids' games. You want to know what they are? Follow the leader, and Simon says... You can boil down ministry to those two kids' games. Follow the leader is, I'm going this way, everybody follow me. You follow the Holy Spirit. Wherever he leads you, you go and follow him. Right? And the second one is Simon Says. Brother Sam, Simon Says, touch your head. Simon Says, touch your knee. Simon Says, jump in one place. What if you just behaved the way Jesus behaved because you watched him do the thing you were supposed to do and then you just modeled your life after him? What if we just followed the Holy Spirit and Simon says what Jesus did? Right? Go into all the cities and the villages and the synagogues, preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal every sickness, heal every disease among the people. Go to verse 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Verse 37. And he said to his disciples, watch this. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The laborers are few not because there's not enough of them, not enough people present. The laborers are few because there's not enough people willing to be a laborer. It's a a critical distinction we need to make. Jesus said the laborers are few, not because there weren't enough people. The Bible says the multitudes followed Jesus. Tens of thousands of people were with him. It wasn't the fact that, you know, it wasn't they were looking around going, gee, could we get somebody to help us? There was plenty of people around him. There was just few people that were willing to be laborers. We've got a mandate from God to see to it that the down and outers, that the lost, that the hurting, that the ones who are weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd, we've got a mandate to see them become the up-and-comers, the beloved, the cherished, the strong, the sturdy, the stable. Because of this, church should be a place where people can come and discover Jesus. If you're taking notes, please write that down. If you're not taking notes, please write that down. Church should be a place where people can come and discover Jesus. A very wise man who was a mentor and a 
father in my life once said to me when we were getting ready to come here and plant this church, he said, sometimes it's the job of the church to go to the city, and then sometimes it's the job of the city to come to the church. It's a twofold responsibility. We have to go out and compel them. Jesus said, tell them, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come. You see, we got to go out and we got to bring them in. And when we bring them in, what they find when they get here should be that church is a place where people can come and discover Jesus. If we're not making room for a person to have an interaction with Christ, we're really not doing our job. Amen. Y'all give me a good hearty amen on that. Just pinch your neighbor if you need to. If we're not making room for an individual to have an encounter and an interaction with Jesus when they come in, we're just not doing our job very effectively. It is my commitment as the pastor of this church, it is my commitment that in every single service we have from this day forward, people will be given an opportunity to give their lives to Christ. That includes this service. The church is about Jesus anyways, right? I mean, I don't know if you know, figured this out yet. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it's amazing. He says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of God. Look what he says in verse 2. This is incredible. He says, I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. Paul said, the only thing I wanted to know when I got to you was, did you know Jesus? And did you know the fact that he was crucified and rose from the dead? Did you know you could be saved? That's, that was Paul's chief concern. We need to make church about Jesus again. Amen? We've made it about us for too long. We've made it about our needs for too long. we got to make church about Jesus again so that we can see some lost people give their hearts to Christ. Number one, church should be a place where people come discover Jesus. Number two, church should be a place where they can enjoy the presence of God and enjoy one another. Enjoy the presence of God and enjoy one another. Look at Psalm 122, verse 1. This is such a cool verse. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I don't know if you grew up in a church tradition where church was miserable. Some people have. I know this is true. Some people, some of y'all are shaking your heads at me right now going, yep, that's me. Church ought not be a dismal situation. Church ought to be a place where you're excited, it's vibrant, there's life happening, church life is exciting, family life is exciting, we're coming because we actually want to be here. Yeah? I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Church ought to be an exciting place where number one, people can find Jesus, and where number two, people can enjoy the presence of the Lord and enjoy each other. Be nice to go to a church where the people are actually nice. <laughs> right? Now, listen, we have that here. I'll say this is something that we that our church is good at. We're going to even get better at it. Amen. I, I grew up in, in a great church, but one of the things that uh, when we were in our youth group, we would have kids that would come visit our youth group, and oftentimes they would say the same thing, and for some reason we never got this right. They would say, yeah, I love it, but it feels kind of clicky. Anybody ever heard that terminology used before? Yeah, I like it. It's, it's fun, but it's kind of clicky. 
No, I want our church to be the warmest, most welcoming, most inviting place that people can be on a Sunday morning. And I'm going to tell you why it takes all of us to make that happen, guys. Amen. So our church services are going to focus on the following. We already kind of do this, but again, we're adding some things to what we do already. Our services are focused on the following four things. Number one, celebration. I just said it was, uh, they said unto me it was glad. Or excuse me, they said, I said unto them, let us, never mind, I'm not going to try to quote that. (laughs) Holy smokes. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house. Now, I've heard that verse my entire life. And sometimes things just get scrambled in your head. So services are going to be a celebration. Celebration of the life of Christ in us. Number two, church services are focused on worship. Should be a place where we are gathered together to worship Jesus. Not here to worship each other. We're here to worship Him. Number three, our service are focused on teaching and training. The Bible gives a very strict commandment to people who have my job title of pastor. And that is that they equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. My job as a pastor is to equip you. Is to equip you. So that you can take Jesus effectively into the community. Amen. And then number four, our service is focused on an invitation to salvation. Every single Sunday, as long as I'm here, we are going to receive Jesus. We're going to give people the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Amen. Those four things, celebration, worship, teaching and training, and an invitation to salvation, those four things are a recipe for an introduction to Christ. It's like baking a cake. One part worship, one part training, one part celebration, one part invitation. And before you know it, people are meeting Jesus left and right. I'm telling you folks, our church is going to grow exponentially in 2020 because this stuff is real. So I have two questions for you. Number one, you may be asking yourself this. What's in it for me? It's, cha- it's challenging sometimes when we, when we put a mandate of responsibility on our shoulders and say, here's what we need to do going forward. Well, the first question I always have is, what's in it for me? What's in it for you? I'll tell you what's in it for you. A chance to influence eternity. Let me, let me say that one more time. A chance to influence eternity. I don't know if you've realized this, but Paul says that this life is a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, when you, listen, you might live to be 100 years old. That would be awesome. I hope you do. I hope we all live to be 100 years old. That'd be great. But even 100 years old still feels like compared to eternity. It still can't even be measured when you compare it to eternity. As much emphasis and as much excitement as we pour into this life, it pales in comparison to what eternity will look like for us. We have a responsibility to influence eternity. What's in it for you? What's in it for me? The opportunity of a lifetime. The opportunity to influence something beyond your lifetime. The opportunity to see somebody's forever changed. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get, I don't want to get to heaven and feel like I didn't do anything. I don't want to get to heaven and be like, well, that was easy. Right? I want to get to heaven and be like, man, I left it all out on the field, Jesus. 
Did you ever, did you ever, do, did you ever do something dumb or wild or crazy, like a, two backflips off the trampoline or jump like crazy into a high dive into the pool, and you get done, and you turn, and you look at your friends, and what do you say? You go, did you see that? That was nuts. Did you see that? That's what I want to say when I get to heaven. I want to get to heaven and be like, Jesus, that was crazy. Did you see that? Look at all these people that came with me. I didn't even realize there was that many of them behind me. Look at this. I want to get to heaven and find out I had an influence on eternity. That it wasn't just about me and my stuff and my little dumb little job and my little family and my cute little dog. And I I didn't want it to just be about me. I want it to be about something bigger than me. What's in it for us? A chance, an opportunity to influence eternity. Glory to God. I will no longer... I've been like going through some fun stuff these last couple months. I will no longer apologize for asking people to be involved. I'm done. Amen. Yeah, clap your hands. That's serious. You know why that's such a big deal for me? Because I grew up helping and supporting so many other ministries. My dad was a pastor before I was even born. I grew up in church. I grew up doing sound, being on the worship team, being a greeter, an usher. I did puppets in kids' ministry. I was led worship for my worship team. I was on some committee, probably on five committees at every point in my life that I can remember since, you know, eighth grade. I was doing something to support. So when I became a pastor... And when we started our church, I've been trying to do everything for the past few years. Let's be honest with you. And it's a big hurdle that every leader has to go through and and, and a big bridge that every leader has to cross when they say, I can't do it all by myself anymore. I need to give opportunity and create opportunity for others to use their giftings to, to, to take part in this mission to change the high country. I can't do it by myself no more. Amen. So, so you know what I did? My pastor helped me to see this. We were talking on the phone not too long ago. He said, Josh, I stopped asking, or he said, I stopped apologizing. Stopped apologizing for asking people for their time. I stopped apologizing for asking people for their money. I stopped apologizing for asking people for their influence. He said, do you know why? Because I was creating and extending to them an opportunity to be involved in something that has eternal consequence. He said, guess what, brother? They're not getting that opportunity on their job 40 hours a week. He said, their boss is not there encouraging them to do something that's going to change eternity. When we ask for your involvement, we're providing an opportunity for all of us to have eternal impact and connect to God's purpose in the earth. Watch this. By being part of a local church, we're being given an opportunity to take part in the thing that Jesus actually died to create. I'm going to read that for you one more time. By being part of a local church, we're being given an opportunity to take part in the thing that Jesus actually died to create. What greater, what, what, what greater impact could we possibly have than that? We sit back and go, well, what's in it for me? Oh, man, I'll tell you what's in it for you. The chance to shape eternity. The chance to take part in the thing that Jesus hung on the cross for. The second question I have, and we're getting ready to wind down here, 
The second question I have is, what does it mean for me? The first question was, what's in it for me? The second question is, what does it mean for me? It means four different things. I want to spell these out for you. Number one is, come a little early, stay a little late. Come a little early, stay a little late. When I was in, um, when I was in high school down in Sarasota, Florida, I was um, on my drum line. I grew up playing drums, and uh, I, was, I played snare drum in high school. And Our band director used to say to us all the time, we were called percussionists. We weren't called drummers. We were percussionists. It was prestigious. <laughs> and our band was actually pretty intense. We had like almost 200 kids in, in our band, and when we would line up on the field, we would surround the entire football field to come on for our halftime performance. The years the, that I was there, we went and won straight superiors at state contests. We were, it was a serious business, serious deal. And our, our band director, he called us concussionists, not percussionists. <laughs> we were loud, you know. But I'll never forget, he drilled this into us. First to show, last to go. First to show, last to go. The first thing I want to encourage you in is come a little early and stay a little late. That's what we do. That's what the leaders do. That's what the people who are involved do. And I can tell you that it pays to do that. I can tell you that it pays. It pays to invest your life into something bigger than you. Come a little early, stay a little late. Here's my promise to you. We will start on time from now on. Amen. Amen. We started on time this morning. We started on time last week. And do you know what happens when we start on time? We look out and the place is half empty. And that's why we've always said, well, we'll give people a few more minutes. But it's a slippery slope when we do that. And listen, I take responsibility for it. This is family time, right? We're having a nice time. Y'all love me. I love you, okay? Jesus loves you. We love you. Your life counts. Amen. <laughs> I take responsibility for it because I would say, well, you know, let's, I can see people are moving around the park. Let's, let's give them a couple minutes. We'll give them just another minute to get in here, and then we'll start. But that's a slippery slope because another minute becomes three minutes, becomes five minutes, becomes 12 minutes. Before you know, it's 10, 15, and we're just thinking about getting started. And that's not fair to you. It's not fair to the leadership. It's not fair to the people that are serving, the volunteers that have come. It's not fair to the new guests that's come. And you know who it's most of all not fair to? Jesus. Amen. It's not fair to him. Because we said we were going to do something, and we need to honor our commitment to Christ. Listen, if you can honor your boss for 40 hours a week, can I get ornery with you for a second? Y'all know that I love you, right? I've said that like nine times already today. So you know that I love you. If you can get to work on time for your boss five days a week, you can come to church for two hours on a Sunday to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Newsflash, Jesus gave it all for you. I don't know if you realize this. He didn't get kind of crucified, right? He didn't die-ish, Right? It wasn't a partial thing. He gave everything for me. He gave everything for you. The least I can do is honor him with my commitments. So come a little early. 
Stay a little late. I know you can do it. You want to know how I know you can do it? Because I've seen some of you in the parent drop-off lines at 745 on Wednesday at school. If we can get our kids to school by 745, we can get to church by 10 a.m. Amen. Don't come at 10. Come at 945. You know why? You'll probably bump into a new person. You'll probably bump into a visitor or a guest that's here for the first time. And we want them to have the best experience, right? Because we want them to come here and discover Jesus. And we want them to have fun in the presence of God and relate to one another. All right, I'm getting off my soapbox. That's it. What's it mean for me? Number one, come a little early, come stay a little late. Number two, I want to encourage you to move from you, them language to us, we language. This is a subtle one, and I almost left it out, but I thought, no, it's good. We should talk about this. Move from you, them language to us, we language. I, I see people all the time. I have a lot of friends in town and from work and business and, and you know, extracurricular activities. There's a lot of people that, that we get to call friends here in our community. And I can't tell you five times a week somebody's asking me, how's your church? How's your church? Man, it's going great. We're having a revival. It's wonderful. God's moving. How's your church, brother? Man, it's awesome. And it blesses me to hear people ask me, how's your church? But I'll tell you what blesses the heart of a pastor even more is when somebody involved in the church says, Pastor, I love what God's doing in our church. Oh, Pastor, I was thinking we need to do this. Move from a you-them language to us-we language. Does that make sense? I'll tell you, nothing blesses the heart of your pastor like that. To hear you say, I love our church. Because here's the deal. The church belongs to us, all of us. We need to take ownership of the things that God has entrusted to us. I've said this before. This is not Brianne and my church. Remember what I said just a little bit ago about we can't do it all by ourselves, and, and, and I'm not going to be apologizing to ask people for their help anymore. I'm growing, guys. I'm, I'm getting better at this pastor thing. I'm nowhere near where I need to be yet, but I'm getting there. I need you to pray for me. I need you to believe with me that God will do what he wants to in my life. Let's take ownership of what God has entrusted to us. Number three, invest in the excellence of your church. Let's set the gold standard of excellence in our community. What does that mean? It means don't settle for status quo. If you're walking and you see a gum wrapper on the floor, pick it up. Don't say that's somebody else's job. This is all of our church. We all have the opportunity to make this the best place that it can be. What if we set the gold standard for church life in our community? It's not a competition. I'm not trying to badmouth other churches or talk them down. But what I am saying is let's make this one the best we can make it. I'm going to tell you something. When you go back and you look at the, you look at the way that God designed the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it was extremely meticulous, extremely. Jeff's a builder. He knows what it's like about being meticulous with your materials. When you go back and read in the book of Exodus when God started telling Moses how to build the tabernacle, he said, listen, don't use any wood. Use cedar wood. And not just any old cedar wood. Get the cedar that comes from hundreds and thousands of miles away in Lebanon. 
That's the best cedar. Go up into the mountains, get the best cedar trees, cut those down, drag them hundreds of miles back here, and build the temple out of that. He said, you know, these guys that are going to be making the table and the, and the lampstand and, the, and the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant and all that stuff, that not just anybody can do that. Get such and such an artisan and his, him and his sons, they're the ones that are qualified to build this. Why? Why was God so particular? Because he's a God of excellence. God is such a magnificently excellent God. He's so dynamic and big and robust and beautiful and amazing. Do you know that God created beauty? He created beauty. So the environment in which we worship him ought to be beautiful. Amen. Now listen, I understand that people have taken that too far and gotten weird with it. But we're not going to do that. Because we love Jesus too much. We're never going to make it about us. We're always going to make it about him. We already talked about that this morning, right? So as long as it's about him, let's make it excellent. I mean, he's a beautiful God. He created beauty. He created splendor and abundance. He created the magnificent sky. I mean, look at the sky, how beautiful it is. I mean, God, think about this. God created color. He created color. See, most people don't think that about Most people think God is boring and stodgy and crusty. And he's, you know, the only colors he knows is charcoal and light charcoal, gray, He's not angry. He's not crusty. He's created billions. How many colors do we need, really? Right? I mean, how many colors do we need? How many trees do we need on our planet? He's abundant. He's beautiful. He's majestic. Do you realize that... (laughs) I'm having fun up here. Can I go for just another second on this? Do you realize that the things that God uses as throwaway items in heaven are the most valuable things here on earth? God treats diamonds and jaspers and rubies like you treat light bulbs, right? He paves the street in gold. He's magnificent. He's, he's, he is magnificent. Now you see why the writer of Psalms uses such great language to compose how big our God is. He says, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you visit him? When I consider the heavens. You see, we serve a big, amazing, awesome, splendorous God. Let's invest in excellence as we serve him with it. Amen. Number three. Invest in the excellence of your church. Don't settle for status quo. We're honoring God. Let's make this place the best it can be. And then number four, the one that all of this has been riding on, number four, let's invite the people that need Jesus the most. Do you remember how we started this whole discussion this morning? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I think we do ourselves in the kingdom of God an injustice sometimes when we assume that somebody could not come to Christ. How many of you have done this? I mean, mean, all of us, right? All of us have done this at some point in our life. Oh, there, you know, my cousin Billy, he's, oh, what a heathen. He's such a nice guy, but he just, no, I could never talk to him about Jesus. It's the last thing he's thinking about. The last thing he wants is to know Jesus. No way. Little do we know that cousin Billy is 
aching on the inside, crying out in need of a Savior. And we have just refused to help him by assuming that he would never be interested in knowing who Jesus was. We do this all the time. I do it. I'm so guilty of it. Oh, you know, my coworker, uh, you know, it's, yeah, he's a nice guy. We have good times. We go to lunch every week, and, you know, he's a good dude, but no, nah, he'd, he'd never know. He'd never want to come to church. Listen, can we just collectively rid our thoughts of that? Can we just make the decision to say, you know what, I'm just not going to think like that anymore. I'm going to invite my friends. I'm going to go into the places that need it the most. I'm going to find the people that need Jesus the most. I want to tell you guys, every one of us in this room is surrounded by people that need Jesus the most. Whether they look like they've got it all put together, maybe they went, maybe they've been going to church since they were a, you know, a fetus. Maybe they've been going to church forever, but they're unsatisfied and they don't actually know Jesus. My parents grew up in Niagara Falls, New York. And they went to Catholic church. Both of them, with their families respectively, went to a couple different Catholic churches in our, in our city up there. And they went, let's see, my dad was 19 when he got saved. I think my mom was 20 when she got saved. So they went 19 and 20 years of going to church and didn't know Christ. Weren't even aware of the fact that you could have a personal relationship with God. To my father, and he's going to be here in a few weeks, he'll, I'll ask him to tell you his testimony. It's awesome. But if you were to ask my dad, he would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe in God. I pray to him, you know. We, we, you know, we go and we kneel down on the little kneely things that flop down from the church. Y'all ever been to Catholic church before? I used to go to Catholic church for two reasons, weddings and funerals, all the time. Because the rest of my family, God bless them, most of them are still Catholic. And you go and you flip the thing down, you kneel, and, you, and the guy comes through, and they, they swing the incense thing, and it smells really pretty for a few minutes, and everything's in Latin. And, and it's, it's beautiful, but it's so mysterious because nobody actually knows how to get to God. I just thought of Monty Python. You all remember the guys from Monty Python and hit themselves in the head? <laughs> There's so much, there was so much ritual and tradition in their life, but they didn't know how to access this God. Jesus was nothing more to them than a statue on a wall, still hanging on the cross, by the way. Right? That was as close as they ever got to him until somebody found him and said, do you know you can actually know this God? You can actually communicate with this God. You can pray and he'll answer. To them it was form and tradition for so many years until the light went off and they said, I need to get saved. My father got saved in a coffee shop on Grand Island, New York in the 1970s. My mother got saved. Listen to this. This is amazing. This is so amazing. My mother got saved in her bedroom 
at my grandmother's house on Grand Avenue in, 19, in 1980, no, 1978, excuse me, Niagara Falls, New York. She got saved in her bedroom by herself after attending, you're going to laugh, after attending a Tupperware party. Y'all remember Tupperware? <laughs> you, know, you remember Aladdin? <laughs> Still good. Remember that part? Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> I don't think Tupperware, does Tupperware still exist? I don't know. Anyways, they used to sell it, and you would have, you would have parties, and we're going to invite all our friends, and they're going to buy thousands of dollars worth of Tupperware tonight. It's going to be great. My mother went to a Tupperware party, and this is so funny. The guy she was dating at the time, they, they were dating together, and, and the people that invited them invited them because they had a relationship with this guy, and they were trying to get him saved. And what's funny is they, were, they all thought, you know, his name was Joe. They said, Joe's real close to getting saved, but that Anita lady, I think she's kind of holding him back. What's hysterical is she got saved and he never did. Which is, well, I guess it's not hysterical. But anyways, I don't know, maybe he got saved later, but not while they were together anyways. She went to this Tupperware party and she got around all these people who were believers. And she went home that night and she found a little Bible probably written in Italian or Latin because that's all they had in, in, in their home. And she sat on her bed and she said, Lord, I don't even know if you're really real or not, but here's what I do know. The people I was just with, they got something I don't got. They got some light and life about them that I do not have. And if you're real, I want that. And she said the presence of the Lord began to fill her little bedroom. And she asked Jesus into her heart without anybody leading her in a prayer, without anybody saying anything. She got past that wall of religion. She got past that wall of Jesus being so far away. And she found a way to connect to him. And that, my friends, is what our community needs desperately. We have a community of people here. I love this place. I love this community. We have, we have a city full of people here that many of them have gone to church since they were little kids, but they still don't know how to get to God. Guys, we've got a responsibility to make the gospel personal for them. It's going to start by us inviting them to know Jesus. Every time you see those words, know Jesus, I want you to think, that's what Sunday mornings are for. That's where we bring our friends. That's where we bring our people so that they can know Jesus. Amen. I believe it's going to change our church in the best of ways. We'll grow and we'll see many come to Jesus. I'm not interested, guys, in people, in, in people just swapping teams. So many times church planting, I'm done, by the way. You can stand up to your feet. So many times church planting is viewed through the lens of Christians leaving wherever they were at to come be a part of this new church. I have a friend who calls that the church draft. They play on one team for a while and then they get traded. I'm not interested in that. 
And we've gotten really good in our culture of, of you know, re- reporting stats and saying, oh, we, our church grew by 17 families this month. Did it really? Did they get saved or did they just migrate from another church because you got flashier social media than the church they were at? Can I be real with you? That's not what we're in this for. We want to see people actually get saved. Amen? That's what this is all about. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.